Welcome back to Sick Enough, the show that peels back the curtain on what life is like when you spend all your time in hospitals. Today's episode is called Heart Attacks, and it's part of our series on cardiology. Um, I'll be talking to you about what exactly a heart attack is, and Tyler is here to, uh, to help me out. Here I am. Just a quick disclaimer. This show is for education and entertainment only. This is not official medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctor. If you are having a medical emergency, you should not be listening to the show. You should be calling your local doctor or checking into the nearest emergency room. Additionally, we are not pediatricians and are not qualified to speak towards pediatric concerns. So, you know, in speaking to patients, we've both noticed that so many people don't actually know what a heart attack is. Um, and we've even joked that some of our, some of our colleagues in different areas of medicine may not fully comprehend what a heart attack is. Um, because they're, they definitely have, there are definitely some clinical definitions that I think that go over some people's heads. Um, so in this episode, we're going to talk about what a heart attack really is. Um, what, you know, what happens, um, when you have a heart attack. Um, and then to a certain extent, we're going to talk about how we go about diagnosing and treating it though. Tyler is going to be talking about some of this in, in, uh, in his own episode. Um, so I wanted to start off talking about some terminology. Uh, cause I feel like there's so much terminology. Um, there's, uh, heart, you know, most lay people know of the term heart attacks, but I think to lay people that can mean many different things. Um, I think even to, you know, for instance, ER doctors, um, you know, to them, they may think a patient's had a, a heart attack just because they've had a positive lab test, but that's not really how we diagnose a heart attack. Um, so I wanted to clarify some of this terminology, um, for, for you, the listener, so you could sort of understand a little bit better what a heart attack is. Um, so when most people talk about heart attacks, they're, they're referring to what we in the medical field would call a myocardial infarction, uh, or, and you may also hear us call this an MI. Um, there are different kinds of MIs. You may hear, hear us talk about STEMIs or instemies. Um, and the, the, the me part of it is MI. So, um, uh, but there's even more terms than that. There is acute coronary syndrome and there's also coronary artery disease. Um, and if things weren't confusing enough, uh, everybody who has had a heart attack has coronary artery disease. Not everyone who has coronary artery disease has had a heart attack. So I know this is all as clear as mud right now, but hopefully we'll make this a little bit clearer. Um, so basically, um, Tyler, you know, when, when you tell a patient has had a heart attack, what are you telling them has happened? Just so I understand your question, when when I tell them or when they tell me? When when you are telling a patient that has had a heart attack that they have had or that they that has had an MI that they've had an MI, what are you? What how are you explaining it to them? What what I tell them, I guess I'll start with what do I consider an MI? And I consider sure. an MI when we have a a a blockage or a plaque rupture in a coronary artery, which causes a complete or partial obstruction of said coronary artery, which leads to cell death and necrosis of the heart itself. Exactly. So your heart is a muscle and just like any muscle, just like any other tissue in the body, it needs oxygen and nutrients uh, and energy in order to survive and in order to keep beating. Um, and that energy that is all supplied by blood flow. Um, and that blood flow is supplied by some arteries or some blood vessels that are on the surface of the heart. 
And we call these the coronary arteries. Um, and if a clot or something causes those uh, arteries to be blocked up, then suddenly a part of the heart is no longer getting enough blood flow or oxygen or nutrients. Um, and that tissue will either um, stop working or worst case scenario, it'll die and it'll never resume working. Um, and that's what makes heart attacks so dangerous is that if part of your heart suddenly stops working, um, blood everywhere stops flowing and you, you can die as a result of that. So Tyler, you touched on the, the fact of plaque and plaque rupture. Um, and, and, uh, I sort of wanted to, to get into that a little bit. Um, because, you know, one of the big questions patients have for me when they, after they've had a heart attack is they want to know why did this happen? Um, and that's not a very, that's not always a very simple answer or not always a very simple, um, uh, simple question to answer. Um, you know, as all of us get older, we get plaque, basically debris that accumulates on the sides of our blood vessels. And this happens throughout the body, but it can especially happen in the heart. Um, and things like smoking and high cholesterol and diabetes can make that hap- that process happen faster um, or make it happen so- or make it worse. Um, and as that and I kind of think of these blood vessels as being kind of like roads. And I think of these plaques is sort of being like those orange cones that you see on the side of the road whenever they've, whenever they've shut down a lane or two. And, you know, if you've ever been in heavy traffic at one of those construction sites, you know, you know that when the, when, you know, a highway goes down by two or three lanes, you're going to be in traffic for hours trying to get through that. And the same thing happens when you get a plaque build up inside your, your blood vessels um, blood just cannot get through very promptly or very quickly. Um, and when blood is going through slowly, that means there's tissue downstream from that. That's not getting what it needs. Um, and to make matters worse, you know, you can have blood that, that, that plows into that, into that plaque or plows into that and, and causes tissue injury at that spot. And, that's when a clot forms and a and blocks up the entire blood vessel. And I know that's getting a little technical, but that's pretty much how heart attacks happen. That is, I think, if you get a if you put a hundred doctors and nurses into a room and ask them what a heart attack is, I mean, I think that's what we medical staff call heart attack. Yeah. But I think, Dave, if I understand the point of this episode correctly, um, I think there's a lot of public misunderstanding of what a heart attack is. Mm-hmm. And a lot of patients tell you and I that I had a heart attack mm-hmm. and and that, I mean, quite frankly, doesn't tell us anything. And I think we're trying to mm-hmm. streamline our understanding of what what do you mean you had a heart attack? Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I, I kind of got off on a tangent here because I agree with you. Yes, that is the true medical definition mm-hmm. of a heart attack. When we have a, a coronary artery plaque blockage or plaque rupture, which causes damage. Yeah, there's there there are. Some other mechanisms where things like this can happen, and and I think we see a lot of patients who happen to have this particular mechanism. But um, you know, for instance, patients who use drugs like cocaine or amphetamines, um, those drugs can make the make the arteries that supply your heart squeeze down and clamp down so hard that no blood can get through. Um, and when that happens, some of that the same process can happen, meaning blood doesn't get through. The, the heart tissue suffers, and then those patients, as a result, will develop heart problems. 
Um, and it's sort of a different mechanism than kind of what we traditionally think of as a heart attack. Um, and, and I know we've both seen patients in the hospital who came in saying they had heart attacks. And when we looked in kind of in their chart, we found, you know, oh, this person didn't, didn't have the true heart attack. They were on some substances they probably shouldn't have been taking. And, uh, and that led for them to sustain some heart damage of, uh, you know, of their own. But, um, but my over under is mm-hmm. when someone says, well, I had a heart attack five years ago. I'll ask them, so mm-hmm. did you have a cardiac catheterization? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is yes, it probably was a true myocardial infarction. If mm-hmm. the answer is no, that leads me to believe that there was a misunderstanding yeah. somewhere along the way. I, I can't tell you how many patients say, oh, I had a heart attack. And then I go look through their chart um, or I get, I try to get to the bottom of it. And I find out, no, they came into the emergency room with chest pain they talked to an emergency room doctor who told them their troponin level was high and that they had a heart attack. Um, but then when we did the testing to really confirm whether or not they had a heart attack, we found out that they didn't. And, um, and, but the problem is they heard they had, a they heart heard attack. they had a heart attack right. and they didn't. Yeah. Right. Um, well, so I, I wanted to talk a little bit about how a heart attack is diagnosed because when I was going through training, and I, and I hope this doesn't touch too much on kind of the episode you're, you're planning. But when I was going through training, we had a couple different ways of diagnosing a heart attack. Um, and since then, things have gotten even better. We've gotten better diagnostic tools. You know, so typically, how, how would you go about diagnosing a heart attack? Well, um, if I truly, I guess to, in short, they need a cardiac cath and I can't do those. So I call cardiology. If I truly, yeah. truly think, that this is a true myocardial infarction and there is something to be said about their candidacy for cath mm-hmm. candidacy for catheterization. If they check both of those boxes that a, I think this is an MI and two, they are a candidate for a cath. I'm calling cardiology and that's, yeah. that's what it is. I mean, you and I can do stress tests and echoes and coronary CTs mm-hmm. all we want, but if this is truly a heart attack, they truly need a catheterization. Yeah. Um, and catheterization is really the gold standard for that. And so when you hear us talking about, gold standard, that means that is the widely accepted way to make a diagnosis. And, um, when someone comes into the hospital and we're concerned that they have a heart attack, um, we usually, we have to do some tests to prove it. And, um, and that's for a couple reasons. You know, if we took everybody to have a cardiac catheterization done, um, not only would that cost four to $6,000 per person, um, it would also, we would also do a lot of harm um, because those catheterizations have risks um, and a small percentage of patients who undergo that procedure are going to have complications from it. Um, so yeah, it's not a benign procedure. It's definitely not. So we try to figure out ways to figure, you know, we try to figure out ways to quickly and cheaply figure out who is, who do we really need to be concerned about and who, who does not need to undergo the cardiac catheterization. Um, and that means we start off doing things like an EKG um, if the EKG shows really concerning findings, then that, then we'll, you know, launch into kind of the next step. You know, some people have EKG findings that are so concerning, we rush them straight to the cath lab as quickly as we can. Um, you know, if the EKG doesn't really show anything convincing, then we move on to kind of the next step, which is getting troponin levels. Um, troponins are a chemical that the heart produces when it's under a lot of stress. Um, or when it's been working really hard. Um, the problem is there are a lot of conditions that can make troponins run high. Um, and heart attacks are just one of those conditions. So a positive troponin doesn't really prove that much. 
Um, even looking at the, trip, the trend of troponins, meaning where we check it um, over the course of six to 12 hours, um, that can be suggestive, but it, a lot of times it doesn't, it, it can't always tell us everything. So really doing a cardiac catheterization is kind of the ultimate way to find out. Yeah. Do you want to um, briefly go over who is not, maybe not a good candidate for a cardiac catheterization? So uh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Cause I know a lot of people out there probably think, Oh, well, I'm having chest pain. Why don't you just take me for cardiac cath? Well, yeah. it, it's, it's hard. I would say older adults. So people in their eighties or nineties who have significant medical problems or maybe even not good, um, or who maybe already are in poor health for other reasons. They're not good candidates for cardiac cath. They have a high risk of having problems from the cardiac catheterization or a high risk of complications from the cardiac catheterization. Um, and there's not necessarily a great benefit for them to undergo it all, all the time. Um, the, what, what other groups would you say are not good candidates for cardiac cath? Well, I would say it's, it's a, it's a multifaceted question because if mm -hmm. someone really, really needs it, yeah. they just go to a cath. And that's for like, you know, the stimmies and, and the, the definitely concerning presentations. But there, there's certainly a game of, well, they're, they're not a great candidate and I'm not really concerned. So maybe we shouldn't cath them. And that's kind of what I'm going to answer here. The, yeah. the ones who are not a great candidate are the ones who, I mean, first off, the cardiac cath is incredibly hard on your kidneys. Yeah. So if we've got a patient who <clears throat> already has a baseline kidney disease, um, for whatever reason, there's, it, it can be riskier in them. Yeah, yeah. We've got a whole episode coming up about kidney disease, but forget that for now. Um, if, if someone's already got stage four kidney disease, you, boy, we don't want to take them to cardiac cath unless we got a damn good reason to do so. Yeah. Um, so that would be the first thing. Cause I mean, if we would hate to take this stage four kidney patient and then put them in a lifelong dialysis because of this cardiac catheterization mm -hmm. and it turns out this cardiac catheterization is clean you know, now where they're on dialysis for no reason, mm -hmm. that's certainly a problem. Another issue I'll see too is like, um, I'm not board certified in cardiology, but I seem to think that the process of cathing someone and putting stents in their heart is there's a goal to add 10 years or 20 years to their life by doing mm -hmm. so. And, and if we get a 93 year old, yeah, they may not have 10 years or 20 years. And so it's like the cath boy, that could I mean, the cath has a better chance of killing them than helping yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that, that group I think is usually kind of the, the, where we have the, the least benefit for, and the biggest risk. So, um, and, and I've had plenty of patients who came in, they were in their nineties. They've, they, we had done the test that clearly showed they, they had had a heart attack and there was frankly not anything that we could really safely do for them. Um, because the cardiac cath would be riskier than any benefit they would get from it. So, um, we have been doing a, a procedure recently or a test recently called a coronary CT angiogram. And, um, that's basically like doing a cardiac catheterization, but without having to get, um, without having to, to go into the cath lab and have the needle threaded through your blood vessels and all that sort of stuff. Trash your kidneys. Yeah. Uh, although they still give contrast for this. So it's, it's still not, has that it's not, that. it's not, not as much contrast though. So, um, just for the listeners, um, anytime they do a cardiac cath, we have to give dye that shows up on an, on an x-ray. So the way a cardiac cath works is they bring you into the cath lab, they lay you down on a table, um, and then they 
put uh, a needle into usually either your groin or your arm. Um, and then they pass a catheter through that needle and then they, um, thread that catheter up until it's right. You know, they basically thread it up through blood vessels until it's right at your heart. And then they inject dye into those different blood vessels. And if they see the dye go through a blood vessel and then suddenly stop, then they know there's a blockage in that artery. And that tells them that you've had a heart attack, that there's a blockage there that's causing a problem. Um, and if they can open that blockage up quickly enough, they can undo some of the damage that that clot or that that blockage caused. Um, and uh, in the process, though, they're putting a catheter through arteries that may not be in great condition, so they can cause damage to those arteries. They can brush up against plaques, and those plaques can um, knock debris loose, and that can cause things like strokes to happen. Um, and they give contrast, and that contrast is something that your kidneys have to clear out of your system. Um, and contrast is particularly rough on the kidneys. And if your kidneys um, are already partially failed or are not able to filter your blood the way they're supposed to, that contrast could sort of be um, kind of the nail in the coffin for them. And it can put you into, into kidney failure. Um, and, and these are things that we deal with kind of all the time. It's not um, usually it's not a big deal. Most people get better from it, but um, for someone who's got advanced kidney disease, it can, it can still be a problem. So. Why do they go to cath? What are they going to do in the cath? Well, ideally, if they find a blockage, they're going to do what's called angioplasty. And what that basically means is that they will balloon open the, the blockage. They'll, they'll basically try to snake a, a wire past that blockage. Um, and then they'll pass a, a special type of balloon over that wire. And then they inflate the balloon. And that kind of pushes the plaque that's blocking everything out of the way. Um, and ideally, they put a stent in. And a stent is basically a little metal tube. It's sort of like a metal mesh cage that when the balloon opens it, it stay, it holds that vessel open um, and restores blood flow. And those stents should be good for seven years, 10 years, 15 years. It all depends on the kind of stent that they put in and how well the patient takes care of themselves. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, and whether or not they take their plavix afterwards. <laughs> but so we talked a little bit earlier about, um, you know, patients will think they've had a quote heart attack. Mm -hmm. I can think, but then I ask them, well, did you have a cardiac cath? And they say, no. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I personally, Dave, and I'll defer to you here, but I can think of two other possible things, which may be in their history that makes me think they think they had a heart attack. Uh, when in fact, it's probably not a true quote, myocardial yeah. infarction. The big one would be, you mentioned that troponin elevation. Mm -hmm. I can also think of, um, Sometimes people had some chest compressions done yeah. for, for better or for worse, for, uh, mm -hmm. even though sometimes the chest compressions weren't needed, but the patient thinks they had a heart attack. Yeah. And lastly, too, sometimes I think people confuse heart failure with heart attack. Mm -hmm. And that's when they tell me they haven't had a catheterization. Those are the three things that I kind of jump into. Do you want to elaborate on those a little bit? Sure. Um, I, I think you're exactly right, because I think there are a number of things that patients misinterpret as, as heart attacks. Um, so I think that... You mentioned cardiac arrests. So if your heart stops and somebody has to do chest compressions on you, um, that could potentially be due to a heart attack, but it could be due to a number of other things too. And um, so just by the by virtue of having chest compressions done doesn't mean that you've had a heart attack. 
Um, it means you've had a cardiac arrest or it means that you've, um, clinically died. Um, and, and if you're around to tell the story, it means that somebody brought you back. Um, a lot of times though, chest compressions are done and you, I, I could tell you're kind of mentioning this, but there are a lot of times people get chest compressions done, um, that may not have been necessary. Um, you know, it could just be that for whatever reason, somebody couldn't feel a good pulse and they started doing chest compressions just to be, you know, better safe than sorry. And, um, you know, that happens a lot with seizure patients, you know, um, you know, seizure patients, someone will have a seizure and they'll appear to have passed out and someone who doesn't truly know kind of, or is a little rusty on their CPR may start doing chest compressions for not really good reasons. But, um, but that's a good, that's a good example. Um, arrhythmias. Um, and so arrhythmias, uh, just for the listeners, uh, that means your heart has gone into an abnormal rhythm. Um, normally the heart should be in a regular rhythm where, you know, every beat, you know, the beats come pretty regularly. Um, every once in a while, people though will develop, uh, an abnormal rhythm where the muscle of the heart fires in kind of the wrong way or squeezes in the wrong way. Um, and arrhythmias, um, can cause people to pass out. They can cause people to feel funny feelings in their chest. They can, um, they can even be fatal people. It can basically result in people's, uh, circulation entirely stopping. Um, and when that happens, um, you know, I think people could misinterpret that as a heart attack, but doctors would consider an arrhythmia something distinctly different. And, um, and arrhythmias can be due to heart attacks, which makes it even a little bit more sort of murky. Um, so what about a type two MI when people tell you they've had a heart attack and then you look through the chart and it, mm-hmm. what's a type two MI? So a type two MI basically means that there has been more demand than there, than there has been supply. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that there is a problem um, with the supply, with the amount of supply or with the amount of blood flow that there is. It could just mean that that person, for whatever reason, um, maybe their heart's been beating really fast for some reason. Um, or their heart's just been working extra hard. Um, and so the troponin elevates. So their troponin goes up, their heart's been under some stress, but not enough stress to cause permanent lasting damage the way a heart attack would. Yeah. So I think what we're, what he's trying to say is like sometimes that we see that in hospitals a lot. It's called a type two MI when the, the, the stress from the heart leaks a troponin, but it's not a true intracoronary myocardial infarction. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if that information is not adequately conveyed to the patient, they will misinterpret this as they've had a heart attack. And now for the rest of their Mm -hmm. life, they're going to tell every doctor they come in terms with that they've had a heart attack. And I think Mm -hmm. that's that, I mean, that's my current understanding. I don't know if I've, if if that's kind of what the room agrees with. So I know I started off this with kind of the, the distinction between heart attack, MI, and then coronary artery disease. Um, I did want to kind of circle back to that for just a second. Um, so, you know, if you've had a blockage in your heart that has been caused by plaques, um, or a plaque rupture or a clot forming there, then you have coronary artery disease, meaning you have a, a disease that is, that has caused a blockage in that spot. Um, there are some patients though who can have narrowed blood vessels in the heart and they have plaque that has developed in the heart. And we consider that still coronary artery disease even if they haven't had a heart attack yet. Um, and ideally it's our goal to find these patients before a heart attack happens so that we can help them do some of the things to prevent heart attacks from happening. And that may mean going on cholesterol lowering medicine. It may mean, um, 
quitting smoking. Uh, it may mean eating a healthier diet. Um, uh, and, and by healthier diet, I mean more of kind of a Mediterranean inspired diet. Um, so lower in saturated fats, um, you know, lots of vegetables, um, you know, less meats, that sort of thing. Um, you know, Tyler, what are some of the other things you think of? That's really it. Uh, I mean, you can take the pills you're prescribed. Sure. But those pills Mm -hmm. shouldn't be the answer. Those pills should be bridging healthier lifestyles. Yeah. Um, weight loss and cessation of smoking have been shown repeatedly to be the best Mm -hmm. ways to reduce myocardial infarction. Cardiovascular exercise is another good one. So those are, those were kind of the big things that, uh, that I wanted to sort of touch on in this episode. Tyler, do you have any, uh, no, you covered it. I, 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 I chimed in when I wanted to. I thought thought it was pretty good. So next episode, I'm going to take over and I'm going to talk about chest pain outside of a myocardial infarction and and what the, the gravity goes with that. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next episode.